Even as President Obama claims that his anti-police policies have not increased risk to police officer around the nation, new stats revealed yesterday show that's just not the case. According to Obama's own Justice Department, his DOJ, quote, surprise assaults, that's what they're calling them, ambush assaults on police, skyrocketed 25% in the period 2008 to 2013 over the 10-year period preceding Obama's administration. Ronald Davis is the director of community-oriented policing at the Justice Department, and he told the LA Times, quote, in an era of strained community relations and struggles with police legitimacy, violence against police is of particular concern. Yeah, you would think. And just yesterday, the head of the FBI admitted that cell phone footage targeting cops had created an upswing in violence against the cops. The White House, of course, quickly said this wasn't the case because why would it make people attack cops if there are all sorts of videos that are targeting cops around? I mean, it's not like other videos have ever caused violence, like YouTube videos causing terrorist attacks or anything. The White House continues to push policies, meanwhile, that do nothing to reduce violence in communities or against police. The Department of Justice study found that community policing accomplished little, actually almost nothing, in terms of reducing ambushes against police. Actually, it slightly increased risk to have more cops on the ground in areas with high crime, hanging out with the people and living in the communities. This has always been the leftist ideal for policing. They just have to be part of the community. They can't be outsiders. Turns out, when they're not outsiders, they get shot more often. Well, naturally, the DOJ immediately dismissed this finding because when statistics show that your theory is stupid, you just get rid of the statistics. So here's what the DOJ actually wrote. Quote, it is not within the realm of any plausible theory. The community-oriented policing is a contributing factor to violence against the police. It's just not plausible. It doesn't matter what the statistics say. It doesn't matter what the data say. It's just not, they can't even think how this could possibly be. This is utter and total insanity. According to Barack Obama and the rest of the left, the police cannot be trusted. And they proclaim that loudly and proudly to criminals over and over and over. We'll talk about that in just a little while. Then they're shocked that more police presence in crime-ridden communities ends up with more dead cops. Just days ago, President Obama once again legitimized the racist violence-defending Black Lives Matter movement. He said, quote, police officers have a really tough job and we're sending them into really tough neighborhoods that sometimes are really dangerous and they've got to make split-second decisions. This is true. But then his face continued moving and he said, quote, we, as a society, particularly given our history, have to take Black Lives Matter complaints seriously. The African-American community is not just making this up. This, of course, being police racism and brutality. But as we know in Ferguson, Missouri or Baltimore, Maryland, black leaders did make up evidenceless stories. They did that with Sandra Bland in Texas, the lady who committed suicide. They said it was murder. Tamir Rice in Cleveland. They said the police left this 12-year-old kid to bleed out on the street without emergency response. That wasn't true. They did it with Eric Garner in New York City, where they said that the police had choked him to death. He died of a heart attack. Or Ezel Ford in Los Angeles. They said police shot a mentally ill man for no reason, even though tape showed that Ezel Ford went for the cop's gun. Members of the black community sometimes do make stories up, just like members of every other community. Cops are often prosecuted based on those stories, and then they're released when the stories turn out not to be true. And then the President of the United States revives those false complaints without providing any solutions. Is it any wonder more cops are getting shot these days? I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. So, folks, here we are. It's the day of the Republican presidential debate, third Republican presidential debate. I don't want to talk about it too much because by the time you watch this, the debate may very well be going on and Donald Trump may have set his hair on fire or 
Ben Carson may have decided that he's just bored with all of this and started singing to himself, or John Kasich may have actually just eaten a landmine and gone up in, in a puff of glory. But you know, it, I will briefly say that there are a few questions that do have to be answered in this third presidential debate. And this will still be relevant tomorrow when you watch this, and you'll know whether or not these questions were answered. I'll say that the, the big question going into the third presidential debate is, can Donald Trump rebound? Because right now, Ben Carson is suddenly leading by double digits in Iowa. Suddenly, Ben Carson in the CBS New York Times poll, at least, is leading by four over Donald Trump nationally. That, that is within the margin of error, but he is leading. Uh, and, and so it'll have to be answered whether Donald Trump is capable of winning a race that he's not winning the whole time. Donald Trump is sort of the Charlie Sheen of politics. He always has to be hashtag winning. And if he isn't hashtag winning, then he's hashtag losing. And the question is, can he bounce back? Bounce back is not Trump's big thing, right? Being the front runner is Trump's big thing. And that's why he spent most of today leading up to the debate talking about how the debate was going to be unfair and how it was going to be stacked against him and how the polls weren't true and all the rest of this sort of thing. Because if Donald Trump were to say, yeah, you know, the polls are what the polls are and here are my policies, we'd actually have to listen to his policies. The tacit promise of the Trump campaign is, I win at everything, make me president, and America will win at everything. That only works so long as you're winning at everything. The moment you start to trail in the polls, then the God bleeds, as we said yesterday, and you got a problem on your hands. That's question number one that's going to be answered. Can Trump bounce back? In order to do that, Trump is actually going to have to sort of limit himself. If he's too aggressive, then he's going to look as though he's getting desperate, which is the last thing that he wants, because Trump desperate looks very much like Trump not desperate, but people will assume that, that he is desperate and only doing this because he's fallen behind. Second question is whether Ben Carson can stick. In the debate, I would I would suggest that he's going to get hit with a lot of questions because suddenly he's the front runner. Carson is not the most fluid guy on his feet, particularly on economic policy. He'll stick to basics, I think. He'll talk about flat tax, but he, he when it comes to actual policy discussion, Ben Carson is not the the most fluid or fluent guy. And will that have an impact as the debate moves forward? It may have some. I don't think it'll have a major impact. People tend to like rough hewn right now in politics. They're sick of the the prepared answers of somebody like a, a Carly Fiorina, but you could see Carson fade a little bit, which is why I'm suggesting that Trump sort of hold himself back, although self-control, subtlety, and Donald Trump, the, these things have never met at any point. Trump should attempt to get mildly acquainted. The other question that has to be answered tonight is, is whether this is Marco Rubio's big chance. I think that Rubio is seen by most people as the presumptive front runner, even though he has not led a single poll all the way through. He's the most quote-unquote legit guy in the top four, and that means that people are saying that if their Jeb Bush drops out, Marco Rubio will take his place at the front of the polls. Tonight, I would assume that Rubio will get hit from a number of angles. If that happens, he's a good counterpuncher. The problem is Republicans don't need a, a counterpuncher in the, in the general election. They need a knockout artist. For, for people who are fans of boxing, I'm a fan of boxing, there's a difference between Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather may beat Manny Pacquiao, but Floyd Mayweather can't beat Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather is a defensive boxer. It means that he never really gets hit hard. That's Marco Rubio. He's never going to be able to be hit hard because he's very smooth. He sticks. He moves. He does, but he also doesn't throw a real hard right. And because Marco Rubio doesn't throw a hard right, it's going to be very difficult for him to defeat somebody like Hillary Clinton, who is by nature both aggressive and a counterpuncher. So you actually need somebody who will be aggressive with Hillary Clinton. I'm not sure Rubio does that. And then the question becomes, okay, can Jeb Bush do anything tonight? The answer is no. Jeb Bush is toast. He's finished. It doesn't matter what he does tonight. Jeb Bush could go on stage tonight, and he could rip a beer can open with his teeth, and he could shoot a shotgun in the air, and everybody would still say he's a milk toast who has no place in this race. Final question, is anyone going to get out after this? 
I think that one of the people most likely to get out is actually Carly Fiorina. Fiorina has no place to go, none. She did as well as she could possibly do in debate number two. She was at 15% for a day, and now she's back down at 4%. Everybody expects her to be great at debate, and even if she is, she's not going to gain anything. That means she has no place to go but down. So there's my quick debate preview for those of you who are watching this just before or as the debate's going on. And, uh, and as you know, tomorrow, obviously, we'll recapitulate what happened in the Republican debate. Well, meanwhile, the President of the United States is taking care of really important business. He did a couple of things yesterday that were noteworthy. First thing he did is he had the U.S. women's national soccer team to the White House. And I have to say, I'm not a soccer fan. Soccer is not American. Uh, soccer is, is a silly game. People call it poverty ball. That's because it doesn't require any sort of equipment. I mean, it's not hockey. Hockey is for rich people. Soccer is for poor people. It's a, it's a, all you need is basically a ball that could be made out of anything and a couple of old Coke cans, and you've got the goal. So it's, it's, it's a silly game. It's, it's really dumb, and we all pretend to care about it. And then we double pretend to care about it when it's the women's national soccer team. That's when we super pretend to care about it. Like, we're into women's soccer for five seconds, and it's during the Women's World Cup, which we don't care about in any way, shape, or form. But Brandi Chastain, one time she took off her shirt after she scored a, girl, a goal, and everybody was like, woo! And then everybody was into soccer, women's soccer every four years, and then they tried to start a women's soccer league. And that's been about as successful as the WNBA. There just aren't enough lesbians in the United States to sustain interest in women's soccer. There, there's a difference in girls' soccer, watching your daughter play soccer and watching women's soccer. I'll watch my daughter do just about anything. She's awesome. But I will not watch her when she's grown up if she's a professional soccer player. She'll have to find an actual job. So, so Obama has the women's national soccer team to the White House, and we all pretend to care. Yay, America, we're super paid. I love when the left pretends that they care about America and that they're patriotic. Not true in war but true during the Women's World Cup. So Obama has the women's national soccer team to the White House, and here is President Obama gushing about the women's national soccer team. This team taught all America's children that playing like a girl means you're a badass. Uh, is that what it taught, Mr. President? First of all, uh, using the word badass in front of a bunch of children is, is kind of interesting. Uh, but, but second of all, you know, the President of the United States says that what, what the women's national team taught was that, that playing like a girl means being a badass. Well, actually, no, it actually pretty much means playing like a girl, like with other girls. They weren't playing the men's national soccer team. It's kind of annoying. I'm, I'm an ESPN watcher, which is becoming harder and harder these days. ESPN has been dumping employees. They've been losing ratings. Part of that is they've become so wildly political. Yesterday on the show, we played you Tony Kornheiser, who's on ESPN, saying that the Tea Party is like ISIS. They've moved way to the left. Well, one of the headlines yesterday is that Abby Wambach, who's a, a, a player on the U.S. women's national soccer team, that she's retiring, and she's retiring with a record number of goals. She scored 184 goals in her career, which is great. That's wonderful. And then it says, in parentheses, most internationally of all time, men or women. And I thought to myself, whoa, hold on a second. Okay, she was playing against women. Okay, that's like saying that I am the leading scorer of all time in my Jewish basketball league. Okay, like, it may very well be true, but then if you add in parentheses, in my Jewish basketball league and also any other league, that would sort of imply I'm better than LeBron James. Okay, the Jewish basketball league. Turns out not the NBA. They're like, no Jew. I think there's one Jew in, in all of the NBA, and he's Israeli. His name is Omri Kaspi. He plays for the, the Sacramento Kings. The The... The, the, the idiocy of girls are just as good as boys as sports. Girls can be great at sports. It's wonderful. You know, I'm, honestly, like, I, I want my daughter to play sports. This is all good. But this idea that girls have to feel inferior 
if we tell them the truth, which is that girls, as a general matter, are not as good at sports as men because men have greater upper body strength and also greater lower body strength and also are stronger and made larger because of sexual dimorphism. I mean, I'm sorry, but truth is truth. And you're, you're just setting people up for a fall because I promise you that when you tell your little girl you're just as good as the, as the boys, and even if you're a great pitcher like Monet Davis, right? You, you played in the Little League World Series and you're this girl and I don't throw like a girl, I throw like a boy. I throw like anybody else. First of all, okay, study. Time for, time for some science, folks. And I know science annoys people on the left because science tends not to agree with them. Here's a quick quiz question. There are th there's a woman, average woman, and the, you can pick a thousand men off the street. One thousand men off the street. This woman will throw slower than how many of those one thousand men? Any guesses? This is actually actual study. The average woman versus a thousand men. How many of those men will throw slower than the woman out of a thousand? The answer is two, right? And they both throw like Barack Obama because Barack Obama, who says that girls play like badasses and girls being great at athletics shows you what it means to be a badass. I assume that's why Barack Obama throws like a girl because as you remember, in the All-Star game, this is President Obama throwing out the first pitch. Check out this motion. Doink. He short arms the throw. He throws like my wife. And the fact is that if you ever put that back to back with George W. Bush throwing a pitch, this is not a, a referendum on masculinity, although I, I have a feeling that George W. Bush is somewhat more masculine uh, than, than Barack Obama in a variety of ways. The, the, the fact that, that you know, this is, I'm going to hear from him about what it means to be an athletic badass. I mean, the guy doinked the pitch. He's, he's not even throwing from the, from the rubber. He's throwing from the front of the mound, basically, and he still doinks a pitch. What was funny about that, Obama's so vain, people don't remember this. During that All-Star game, uh, when Obama threw that pitch and it bounced in front of the plate. If you remember, the camera angle on Obama was not the camera angle that, you, that we just showed, which shows the entire pitch. It shows you know, Obama winding up and throwing and, and doinking the pitch in front of the plate. The camera angle was an upshot of Obama close-up, right? Like no pitch you've ever seen. That's because the White House insisted that the camera angle not show where the actual pitch went. And then if you remember correctly, Barack Obama pumped his fist as though he'd thrown a strike which tells you everything that you need to know about Barack Obama. So moral of this story, gang, number one, no one cares about women's soccer. We pretend to care every four years to make you ladies feel good. Number two, women do not play like men. Yeah, they, people all, whenever, you, whenever you discuss these issues, people always say, oh, well, you, don't you remember Billie Jean, Billie Jean King and she, and she played against a, a guy named uh, Riggs, Bobby Riggs, and they, they had the battle of the sexes. Right, Bobby Riggs was 50 years old and he threw the match. And Billie Jean King was, was a Wimbledon winner and he still almost beat her. And he was trying to lose. So, I mean, come on. Proof is in the pudding. Okay, Renee Richards was a, a, a non-ranked male player, had a sex change, and became a top 10 female player immediately. There's a reason that Ronda Rousey, who's a terrific female fighter, will not fight Fallon Fox, who is a male-to-female transgender, because Fallon Fox is built and looks like a dude. Every so often, we have to have these sort of truth checks. And, uh, and it's important to do these because the President of the United States participates in lies on a regular basis. Now, to his more serious lies, when he wasn't talking about how important women's national soccer was to all girls of all ages, eh, he was talking about how the cops are all terrible and horrible. He can't understand, by the way, why people have bad feeling about cops. It's just, it's unthinkable. Why should people have bad feelings about police officers? The President of the United States yesterday in Chicago, he said, we all believe that cops are great people who do great things, but... Now, rule of thumb, just general rule of thumb for life. If somebody ever says a sentence and then they say but, nothing they said before the but matters. Nothing they said before the but matters. 
The but is where the sentence begins, right? So if you if you if you actually say, if I'm talking with my wife and I said, sweetheart, I'm sorry, but the I'm sorry is completely irrelevant, or no offense, but I'm about to say something super offensive to you, and you're going to take offense, right? This is always true. So President Obama basically says the cops are great, but, and here's the big but, as President Obama has said about his wife, he says. He, he says this about racial profiling. I, I confessed. I told uh, Chief Beck, most of the time I got a ticket, I deserved it. I knew why I was pulled over. But there were times where I didn't. Okay, pause for one second. We're going to talk about President Obama and him being racially profiled. He said this before. And, and it's so stupid. He, he said before that he's been pulled over driving while black. Michelle Obama, if you remember, she actually said recently that she, was, she went out as first lady into the world and she was walking around a, a store alone, okay, which doesn't happen. If you're first lady, you have security at all times. And she said that a woman asked her to take something down from a shelf because Michelle Obama is eight feet tall. And this lady asked her to take down something from the shelf. And Michelle Obama actually, she, she actually later said that was, in, that was evidence of racism, which she've asked an eight-foot-tall white woman to take something down off the shelf. Well, just a couple years earlier on Letterman, she had talked about that exact same incident, but she had said it was charming the lady asked her to take something off the shelf because she didn't recognize her. But President Obama here, he says that he's been driving many times and he's been pulled over for no reason, and it must be because he was black. Okay, I'm going to channel Adam Carolla here for a second. Okay, it turns out sometimes cops are just jerks. I've been pulled over probably more than most black people in the United States. Okay, I have more traffic tickets than pretty much anyone. The last couple of years, I haven't had anybody because I got caught at 113. Caught at 113. I wasn't going 113. Just before they caught me at 113, I was going 128 in a Honda Accord down the I-5 from Sacramento to Los Angeles. So I was doing, you know, I was doing NASCAR driving in a Honda Accord, which is ridiculous because I own a Mustang GT convertible uh, V8. But if you're going to pick a car to speed in, I figured, okay, go for the Honda Accord, which makes no sense. Uh, but I, I, after that, I decided, I'm, after I had to actually travel back up to the middle of nowhere to, to have a judge yell at me, I decided I didn't want any more traffic tickets. But I've been pulled over an enormous number of times. And sometimes it's justified, like that time. And sometimes it's because I'm over here on Hazeltine and I'm going 42 in a 35 zone and the cops have a speed trap because they want to collect money. It turns out, that lots of people get pulled over for lots of reasons. And this idea that racial profiling of black, every black man has expressed racial profiling. You can't say that that's not happened to every black. I can say it's not, it has not happened to every black man. It may have happened to some black people. It may have, although that would require a crystal ball and a fair bit of mind reading. But I can guarantee you it has not happened to every black person. I'm getting kind of sick and tired of this routine that every black person are, has been victimized by the police and they're the only people victimized by police are black folks. It's just not true. And the fact is that when the president of the United States suggests that every black person has been victimized by the police, is he then so surprised that black people might have nasty feelings about police officers? By the way, New Jersey, the perfect example, New Jersey, they had a study. And the study was that officers were pulling over black people more often than white people. So they did a second study to measure how fast black drivers were going. It turned out that on average, black drivers were driving 10 miles an hour fast, faster than their white counterparts. And they were actually being pulled over at less than that rate. So in other words, black people weren't being pulled over enough. So it depends on where you're talking about. It depends on what the purpose of the pullover is. And you always have to check to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples. Because it turns out in some areas, black people might be pulled over more than white people because they drive faster than white people. 
And that probably has, not probably, it certainly has nothing to do with race, but it probably has to do more with income. People tend to drive faster if they're lower income. And ethnicity, unfortunately, tends to correlate with high income versus low income in certain areas of American life. We'll continue with President Obama's idiotic take on, on how he was a victim of racism in his native Hawaii. In Hawaii. I mean, when, was he, when was this supposed to have happened? He was in New York. He probably didn't have a car in New York. No one has a car in New York. He was going to Columbia. Right? No one has a car at Columbia University. At Harvard Law School, I promise you, you didn't have a car. I was at Harvard Law School. No one has a car at Harvard Law School. In fact, the administration tells you not to buy a car at Harvard Law School. So unless he was getting pulled over in the south side of Chicago for being black, which I significantly doubt, he's talking about his brutal childhood racist experiences in Hawaii, where there are 10 white people. So here's the president of the United States continuing along these lines. And as a report that came out just this week reminded us, there are a lot of African Americans, not just me, who have that same kind of story of being pulled over or frisked or something, uh, and the data shows that this is not an aberration. It doesn't mean each case is a problem. It means that when you aggregate all the cases and you look at it, you've got to say that there's some racial bias in the system. Okay, let's pause it for one second. So. He said, what he just said at the very end is so intensely stupid, I can't even begin to, to describe it. He says, not every case is racial profiling, but in the aggregate, there's racial profiling. What do you expect people to take from that, Mr. President? What do you expect people to take from that? Because you just said, you went, what he said is, individually, all black people have had this experience. And then he said, but not every individual case is racism, but in the aggregate, it's racism. That's utterly nonsensical. If you just said, in the aggregate, there is some evidence of racial bias. Okay, maybe, although it depends on the data set that you're looking at and it depends on, on what, how broad and deep the data are. But if you, premise that, if, you, if you preface that statement with a full explanation about how you personally were pulled over for driving while black, nobody's gonna hear that every incident isn't a driving while black incident. And by the way, if you're not gonna cite statistics and if you're not going, you, then at least wouldn't it be good if the president said, okay, as a rule of thumb, 95% of pullovers are not racially biased and 5% are. Wouldn't that be useful? But the way that he says this, you would assume, because he just said it, that virtually all pullovers are racially biased and the only ones that aren't are aberrations, right? Those are the aberrations. He said it's not an aberration to have a racially biased stop. That's not an aberration, meaning that it is an aberration for the police officer to do his job without being a racist. I can't imagine why black folks are getting a bad impression of police with leadership like this. And then Obama continues jibber-jabbering with this mouth of his. Now, problems of racial justice or injustice have been running themes throughout this country's history in every institution. In every institution. And, by the way, bias and stereotypes oftentimes uh, go both ways. So eliminating bias is not something that falls on the police alone. The good news is our divides are not as deep as some would like to suggest. Okay, cut off this idiot. I, I will um, so, he, so, he, so he says there at the very end, it's so funny, because what he'll do is he'll say something as, as egregious as basically all the police are racist, and then he tries to buy it back, because there's racism on both sides. And he says that bias exists on both sides, and there are things that we can do about it. And then he proceeds to suggest zero things that can be done by black people about bias against, for example, white officers. The rest of the speech is about how the police officers are terrible. Okay, if we're going to talk about leading threats to young black men in America today, 
police officers are about number 97. The number one threat to young black men growing up in America today is other young black men, statistically speaking. Statistically speaking, the leading obstacle to a young black man growing up to be an old black man is another young black man killing that young black man. It's sad and it's, and it's tragic and it has nothing to do with the police. But the president of the United States has to push this racial narrative because he's a politician first and he's a leftist first. And his leftism means that he will even allow and, and promulgate black suffering in order to push the idea that we have to overthrow law and order uh, on behalf of a, of a faux racial equality that, that already exists. I mean, the fact is that we are already treated as equals before the law by every available statistic, but the president of the United States wants to make it seem unequal so that he can be the leader against his own government. And that's, that's what's truly amazing. He's the president of the United States. The president of the United States, it doesn't even matter that he's a black man. He's the president of the United States, and he's standing there talking about how corrupt the system is. And his Department of Justice runs it, and his Department of Justice is going after police departments. It's just, it's, it's nonsensical and demonstrates how cynical politics has become. And that wasn't the only cynical thing President Obama said yesterday. Now, president Obama also decided to talk about guns. So here's the thing about President Obama that, that's truly amazing. When he entered office, I didn't think the country could spiral this quickly. I'll be honest, I really did not think the country could spiral in this direction nearly this quickly. When he entered office in 2008, I was, let's see, 24 years old. I'm now 31 years old, and I did not think in the course of seven years that the President of the United States could take the country down this dark a path this quickly. And now he's accelerating. Because in his second term, see, dictate, here's the thing about lame duck sessions, folks. Dictators do not have lame duck sessions, right? When, when, dictators don't care. And President Obama is basically an elected dictator. So he's been talking a lot about gun confiscation. But President Obama does what, what leftists always do. He lies about what his ultimate agenda is. Because if leftists ever told you what their ultimate agenda was, everybody would, would shudder. It's true of the police here, by the way. If President Obama were ever to say, my ultimate agenda is to quash the capacity of the police to police crime in the name of racial equality, everybody would go, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't want more crime. But the President of the United States plays it as though, no, 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 we all love cops. We all... But, but, when the President of the United States did the same thing with regard to guns yesterday, here is President Obama talking about firearms, and it's all just this, all the stuff about, all the stuff about, People want to take away guns? Just crazy talk. It's just, it's all crazy. It's just, you're, you're all cuckoo in the head. It's all, it's all nuts. You know, if some of you, you know, are watching certain television stations or listening to certain radio programs, please, please do not believe this notion that somehow I'm out to take everybody's guns away. And every time a mass shooting happens, I, one of the saddest ironies is suddenly the, the purchase of firearms and ammunition jumps up because Folks are scared into thinking that Obama's going to use this as an excuse to take away our Second Amendment rights. Nobody's doing that. We're talking about common sense measures to make sure criminals don't get them, to make sure background checks work. Okay. President Obama, how do you know when President Obama is lying, his mouth is moving? Okay, when the President of the United States says that we're all just crazy... We're all just crazy for going out and stockpiling ammo and guns every time there's a mass shooting. First of all, there are two reasons that people do this. The first reason is the reason that I bought a handgun after the Charlie Hebdo shooting in, in France. And that is, if somebody is to come after me, I would like the capacity to shoot them. In Israel, by the way, they've seen a huge run on guns since knife attacks started on the Jews. And this is because people would like to actually have the capacity for self-defense. But he's right. One of the reasons the gun sales spike every time there's a mass shooting is because he won't shut his face. 
Because President Obama, every time there's a mass shooting, he does exactly what politicians in Australia and Britain did, which is he says, we need to take all the guns. You know, President Obama said, I, I just want common sense gun measures. Really, Mr. President, what would those be? What would the common sense gun measures be that would stop mass shootings? Here, whenever you're leftist friends, and you shouldn't have leftist friends, folks, because they're bad people. But if you do have leftist friends, because you, you haven't taken my advice yet, please, next time your leftist friend says common sense gun measures to stop mass shootings, ask them, what is the measure? What is it? And the answer is they don't have one. Because the vast majority of gun measures that they want to take to stop mass shootings don't deal with handguns, right? They always talk about assault weapons. Assault weapons are rarely used in mass shootings. They talk also about how they want to have background checks. The, the case in, 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 in multiple of these mass shootings has had nothing to do with a background check. In many cases, the gun is acquired illegally. What, what President Obama does want is gun confiscation, and he's just a liar, and he won't admit it. Another rule of thumb. Today is the day of rule of thumbs. Here's another rule of thumb for you when dealing with the left. So we, our first rule of thumb for the day here on the Ben Shapiro Show, lesson one was, if someone has a sentence with the word but in it, nothing preceding the but matters. Okay, the second rule of the day here on the Ben Shapiro Show is that the left will never tell you their ultimate goal. They will instead tell you that they just want small incremental change. And you can see it in every issue, every area of American life. The perfect example, of course, is same-sex marriage. You remember back to a time, this is during my lifetime, when the homosexual community said, all we want is to be left alone. All we want is to not be prosecuted for having sex with each other. And everybody went, okay, sounds reasonable. That's fine. We haven't been doing that for decades in the country, but sure, sounds, sounds good. And they said, well, but we, I promise you, that's all. You know, we understand that, that the institution of Western civilization is built on the bedrock of male-female relationships. We're not going to do anything crazy like claim that male-male relationships are equally as valuable. And then within five years, there was a call for civil unions. Well, you see... It's unreasonable if there are two men who are living together that they shouldn't have the same legal benefits as a man and a woman living together. I mean, after all, we could sign a document with each other. It's called a will, or we could sign a living trust, and we could do all the documentation. We shouldn't have to do that because that's discrimination. But don't worry. We will never want marriage because we'll have all the legal benefits. But we understand that marriage is a bedrock institution upon which Western civilization is based. And then they say, well, no, marriage, it turns out we want marriage too. We'd like for that to happen. Because it's discrimination. Even though we can't have kids and even though marriage is built upon the foundation of having children, even though that's true, it's, it's just discrimination because there are alternative forms of family. But don't worry. Don't worry. It will never affect your life. Your marriage will never be affected. Nothing in your life will ever be affected. Once we have gay marriage, we'll leave you alone. But it would be good if you have a bakery and you're religious, if we could force you to cater our gay wedding. That would be awesome if we could force you to cater our gay wedding. But I promise you that if you don't cater to the gay wedding, it's not like we'll ever call for prosecution and jailing of you. Except if we decide that that's really discrimination under the Civil Rights Act and we call for criminal violations and then we pass some civil rights laws that require you to be thrown in jail if you don't, in fact, serve us as we demand to be served. It's always an evolution for the left. If the left had said in 1988, not just we don't want to be prosecuted for having sex with members of the same sex, but we want to prosecute you for not giving us service, not because we're gay, but because we, for participating in our gay orgy over here or our gay wedding over here. We want to sue you for that because you would participate in a straight orgy or a straight wedding, so no discrimination. If they'd said that back in 1987, 1988, everybody would have gone, what? Well, the same thing is happening now on guns. The left always has to approach these issues incrementally. So President Obama is lying, and he is. He's lying. 
If you, if you got President Obama, I promise you, among a group of his friends, and you said to him, would it be a better country if guns just disappeared? There were no guns. Wouldn't it be a better country? He would say yes. Right? Just the same way that if you asked President Obama, wouldn't it be better as a world? If there were no genocide, but just Israel just didn't exist. If it just had never existed, wouldn't the world be a better place? As a thought experiment, right? No genocide, no killing, no bloodshed, no guilt, no shame. Israel just doesn't exist. Would, it, would the world be better off? Obama would tell you yes, because he thinks that Israel is an obstacle to peace. And the left always has utopian ideals. They just won't tell them to you. Because the left is basically engaged in a, in, a, in a very rudimentary dating strategy. When you first date somebody, you don't let all your crazy out at once, right? You appear calm and collected and cool. And then over time, your spouse gets to know you and they realize, oh boy, what did I get myself into? Uh, and by then it's too late because they're locked in. That's pretty much leftism in America. They're, they're dating us, but it's, they, we'll only know that we've been screwed after we've been screwed, unfortunately. Okay, and, and now I want to close with this here at the end of, of the Ben Shapiro show. A couple of, of updates. Number one, we talked yesterday about the, the South Carolina situation in which the, we showed you the video of the police officer who, uh, who was called into the classroom to take an unruly black student out of the classroom. The entire class is black. The teacher's black. The, the teacher comes in. He overturns the desk, and, uh, the, or the, the officer comes in, overturns the desk, and he's called racist for doing this. There's a new video that shows that the girl in question threw a punch at him for what that's worth, but she, no, she's, she's an innocent in all of this. Also, it turns out that this racist, deeply racist police officer, it turns out that, that he is, in fact, dating a black girl. So he is a massive racist, another one of these massive racists. Another update, John Kasich is going to be part of the debate tonight. And John Kasich is my least favorite candidate in all the Republican field. He's worse than George Pataki. He's more irrelevant than Jim Gilmore. He's, he's a really, really ticked off troll. And John Kasich yesterday had this to say about Donald Trump and Ben Carson. And I think it's worthwhile playing this because if you want to know how the Republican establishment feels about members of the grassroots conservative base, John Kasich is it. Here's John Kasich. Do you know how crazy this election is? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I've about had it with these people. <laughs> and let me tell you why. We got one candidate that says that we ought to abolish Medicaid and Medicare. You ever heard of anything so crazy as that? Telling our, our people in this country who are seniors or about to be seniors that we're going to abolish Medicaid and Medicare? We got one person saying we ought to have a 10% flat tax that will drive up the, the deficit in this country by trillions of dollars that my daughters will spend the rest of their lives having to pay off. You know, what I say to them is, why don't we have no taxes? Just get rid of them all. And then a chicken in every pot on top of it. We got one guy that says we ought to take 10 or 11 million people and pick them up. We're the, I don't know where we're going to go in their homes, their apartments. We're going to pick them up and we're going to take them to the border and scream at them to get out of our country? I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. That is just crazy. we got people proposing. So uh, that is what Hillary Clinton looks like without the makeup. Uh, and uh, <laughs> John Kasich going off, of course, on Ben Carson and Donald Trump. I have heard something crazier than all the things he mentioned there. I have heard a politician actually say that the pathway to heaven is bigger government. That politician was John Kasich. And finally, we finish on this note. Nancy Pelosi has finally announced who she will support for president of the United States, and the answer is everybody. So here's Nancy Pelosi announcing that everybody is just fabulous. And forgive the fact that it sounds like she is wearing dentures. It's because she's wearing dentures and she needs a little squirt of polydent to really make this work, but she didn't have some on hand. Here is Nancy Pelosi, the oldest living woman, talking about who she will endorse for the next election. 
uh, it would be fabulous to have a, a woman president. You, you can't ask somebody to vote for somebody because of their gender, but I think this is a very <laughs> qualified person who happens to be a woman. Now, I haven't endorsed in the race. Bernie Sanders was my colleague in the House. We voted along, you know, against DOMA, you know, against all of those things that people are subjecting uh, to scrutiny now. He's fabulous, and he is a very important tonic for the country and for the Democratic Party because he has ideas. You know, it's not just let me criticize immigrants or something. It's he has ideas. <laughs> he has. He's a thoughtful person, and he uh, um, and he has done a terrific, terrific job of drawing people out, and hopefully they'll be out next. He might win the nomination. I don't know that because in terms of the demographics of how popular she is in the minority community. Do you think it's possible that Bernie Sanders could win the nomination? Well, you never know. And I'm a big fan of Martin O'Malley's as well. I think he's just fabulous. You don't really think Martin O'Malley could win the nomination. <laughs> Everybody's fabulous. Uh, everyone is fabulous, including, by the way, she mentions Bernie Sanders there. Bernie Sanders, quote from 1985, for, for all you people who are real enthused about Bernie Sanders out there, quote, from 1985, Bernie Sanders. In 1961, America invaded Cuba and everyone was totally convinced Castro was the worst guy in the world. All the Cuban people were gonna rise up in rebellion against Castro. They forgot. He educated their kids, gave their kids health care, totally transformed society. That guy is fabulous, according to Nancy Pelosi. But don't worry, the Republicans, as John Kasich says, were the ones who are totally crazy. Well, have a good time at the debate tonight. We'll be live blogging it over at Daily Wire, so make sure that you Head over to dailywire.com to check out the live blog. And we'll be back here on The Ben Shapiro Show tomorrow to recap all of the fun, all of the action, if, in fact, I survive two hours of, of this debate. Oh, the sacrifices I make for you people. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 